All right, let's go. So, class 30, yeah. six more, right, after today? <laughs> Guys, I think, I do think we can probably fit in two more problem sets, so, <laughs> so don't worry. And, and I've asked for special permission, I'll be sending you problem sets next semester, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good thought. <laughs> Spoken like a man who may need some help. <laughs> there you go. Very important. You know, I just did not have the heart. It's going to be, Lauren, can you stab him inside? But it was nice. You look so peaceful sleeping there. Your head down. I mean, you guys think that we don't know what's going on. We can see these things, right? That and the, the texting, right? We can see you looking down, you know, <laughs> staring. We know. What, you guys think we don't? We don't. All right. All right, so here we go. Easements part two. Uh, and so we've got three cases to do today. Holbrook versus Taylor, the Fontainebleau case, which is, is pretty fun, uh, and the Penn Bowling versus Hot Shops uh, cases. Okay. Holbrook versus Taylor. Uh, Chris Mark? Um, so in this case, the plaintiff landowners allowed the use of a roadway going through their property. The Holbrooks, right? The Holbrooks, or H yeah. on the, the map up here. Uh, I didn't see the map. Yeah. yeah. So H allowed use of that roadway, the very squiggly one, mm -hmm. while T was building their house on their own property. It's supposed to be hilly um, property, so I felt like I had to do something uh, squiggly. <laughs> <laughs> this continued over some time. Um, they also, while this was going on, allowed the neighbors to pay for some repairs to the roadway okay. and also for upkeep on it. Then they tried to, after the construction was complete, I guess, they said that they could no longer continue to use the roadway. Well, first they went and they said, let's memorialize this agreement, right? Why do you think the, the Holbrooks went to the Taylors and said, let's go ahead and memorialize this? Why? I don't know if that's in the facts or it's just in the background they give us. The, uh, book. But, so why do you think the Holbrooks would, would say at some point, we need well, to memorialize this, and then they wanted 500 bucks for it? Um, to put a time limit on it? So, uh, not necessarily. I think they were, they were thinking this could keep going. But why, why memorialize this agreement for the roadway? What, what would be important about that? They might, so they might want to have some agreement about liability. Perhaps, I'm not sure that this would have released them from liability, but that's a possibility. To give them permission? To give Taylor's permission. I mean, in a sense, they'd already given them permission. So the question is, why, why did they, they want to have this thing written down? What's important there? Come on. So you can have evidence in the first case of the case? No, but you're getting there. So that it wouldn't be adverse? Okay, or but they're still going to give them use. What's important about this here? What should, what's, what, easements? 
What do you need to well, do? I mean, it easement. has to be adverse or it has to be in the Prescriptive place. easement. Let's talk about easements generally. Yeah, the property rights are subject to the statute of frauds. So I think Holbrook is saying, look, you have some sort of an easement here that you need to have over my property. You know, maybe he talked to a lawyer uh, and said, we need to get this in writing, record it. It's an official, so it's an official part of your deed, my deed, and, and everything's on the up and up. Otherwise, what might happen is precisely what ends up happening, right? So, so in any event, these negotiations don't work out. And what does Holbrook do? Uh, he ends up putting, I think, a chain or a cable across exactly, the Exactly, right? The famous chain across the driveway trick. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oldest one in the book. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit of self-help. So they end up in, in court, yeah. right? All right, so what happens? Uh, well, they said it couldn't be an easement. By it couldn't be a prescriptive easement because the use was never adverse. Um, Right, so Taylor has two theories upon which he can operate, right? Yeah. Can, he, can he say he just has a plain old easement? No. No, why? Um, because it wasn't by written. Exactly, right? Just what Steve said, it's, it's subject to the statute of frauds, therefore no writing, no easement. Okay, so doesn't get that. Easement by implication. Easement by implication. Um, Does that work? No. Yeah. Why? Um, You're right, but why doesn't it work? Out. No, that's, that's not implication. That's prescriptive. Why isn't an easement by implication? Well, maybe. I don't know. Why do you think it's not an easement by implication here? The common grantor, right? You remember the common grantor limitation. And again, we talked about this seems like a bit of a puzzle because you could still have easements by necessity and implication. Sort of the policy might point you in that direction, but we wouldn't allow them unless there was a common grantor. And it doesn't appear, um, there at least we don't know for sure, but it doesn't appear that they were able to make that case here. And so, therefore, we're stuck with two theories. One is prescription, and the other is some sort of easement by estoppel. All right, prescription doesn't work. Why? Because the use wasn't adverse. Exactly. It, Holbrook has given permission, both express and uh, sometimes implied, over a period of years. There's basically no evidence of an adverse uh, uh, use of the, of the land at all. All right, so now we're stuck with something else. Yeah, so now they, they try to go for estoppel. Um, and in this case, you had the owner who was silent in the face of substantial reliance, um, saw, that, saw T expending money and time and effort in making these repairs to the roadway, didn't say anything like, you know, this is only temporary. Exactly. We're going to ultimately have to make some deal here. Yeah. So, yeah, the court ended up holding that that, that was justification for the... The, the estoppel. Okay. All right. Good. And it's different from a prescriptive easement in that it doesn't have to be adverse. It doesn't have to be adverse. In fact, it's precisely the opposite in the sense of adverse, and that it is the reason for the easement is because the Holbrook behaved as if he wanted this fit to go on, or at least wasn't fighting it, uh, to the detriment, the, the detrimental reliance of of Taylor. Right. Um, so there's no permission, so it can't be a a, a prescriptive easement. Um, and, and therefore, what, 
what relevance is the statute of limitations here? Any? Uh, not going with the estoppel. I mean, it would have been had they, they gone for prescriptive easement. Okay, so you think there's no application of of uh, no relevance of a of a statute of limitations for easements by estoppel? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's not in the it's not in the book. Figure it out. I mean, it's I don't the think theory. it could have all been done in like a week's time. Um, so, oh, as far as the, the statute of limitations, it didn't seem as though they necessarily had to to kind of wait it out to go for this. Right, but, but should should be. I mean, do you think courts are going to take into account how long this activity has been going on? Yeah, I, I think they would, but I don't think there's a kind of bright line okay. rule of, well, you stopped four years, six months into your use, and so you didn't quite make the five-year limit, so we're not But what if, I mean, can I, can an easement by estoppel happen right away? I mean, could it happen in a day? I guess it would depend on how substantial the reliance that, that you allowed right. to, to go on was. I, so is the answer yes or yes, no? Yes, yeah, it could. It could, depending, obviously, depends on the facts, right? Mm -hmm. So what would be a, a fact scenario upon which it might happen really fast? Uh, that I paved the road? Well, how about this? Taylor shows up at the entrance to, to the road there uh, and says to Holbrook, I'm pulling my mobile home up, up the road and going to start living there. Um, got any problem with that, right? What do you think that does? Doesn't that create well, the same sort of estoppel essentially immediately if Holbrook says no problem? Assuming that that's the only way in and out. Yeah, this is, I mean, that's yeah. part of the facts yeah. of this case is there isn't a, a different way that, that Taylor could get uh, in and out. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it would. But even if there was a different way, would it matter? Is there a necessity element to estoppel? No, but where would the reliance be in that case? Well, that's a good point, right? So it might be that that uh, you could argue, well, I let you go up this yeah, time, I mean, but you didn't necessarily to get a trailer. Yeah. No, that's a good. You couldn't go through jobs. A good point. We'd still have obviously. to tease out what the reliance was and how how much it was. But assuming yeah, I mean, this was essentially the only practical way through the woods and the hilly road, and I show up with with a home and saying. Taking it up the driveway, you got any issues with that? Well, then, yeah, I'd, I'd say that would be enough for estoppel because at that point, the reliance is the fact that you're living up there and moving up there with no other way to get Yeah, again, up. contributing significant, you know, investing significant resources upon the reliance that you're going to continue to allow my use in, in the way that we've, uh, that I've essentially suggested, Okay. So, I mean, that's some important things about, you know, this as opposed to prescriptive easements. So, easements by estoppel can happen very quickly, right? Again, it just depends on the, the, the reliance and the fact pattern that would support the reliance interest um, arising. And uh, you don't have to worry about, so statute of limitations isn't the issue. And in fact, in some ways, it's almost a mirror image of prescriptive easements because um, far from being adverse, the reason you're getting... Um, uh, the estoppel theory here is that there's that there's been something that should indicate that reasonably indicates to you that you are being given permission. Okay, so 
there's a the court talks about licenses here. What does that have to do with the case? Right. So the court in in uh, at sort of 998, almost all the way down, there's that indented paragraph where one of the precedents it's using to base its decision on is all about licenses. Why licenses? Uh, the whole revocability at will of the license. I mean, they're saying in that case that whatever you've expended, you've done at your own risk, basically knowing that this license could be revoked. At any True. Time. Licenses are generally revocable at will. So, but why, what does that have to do with this case? Why does the court think that's, that is an important, I mean, we're not, are we talking about licenses here? Um, T is certainly hoping not. Because if that was the case, then the license by that chain has been revoked. Good. Yeah. Right. So, so T doesn't... So I think the, the court was saying that, that we wouldn't be dealing with, with this in a license situation. Okay. Or that we wouldn't want to. So, but let's tease this out. What, what happens here? What, when Holbrook initially gives permission to Taylor to start crossing the land, right, what is he giving? He's what sort of interest? He's the right of use, not of. Is it an easement, though? Or is it some other it's, it, I, kind it's of? It's greater than an easement. Um, it's, at the point that at the point that he allows the improvements to be made. Uh, no, this I'm, I'm talking about moment one, right? Moment one. Moment one, yeah. Hey, Holbrook says, okay, you can use the driveway. What is that? When I say to you, okay, you can use my driveway, what is that? What have that's we done there? That's an easement. You've given me one stick. It's not an easement. Why is it not an easement? Steve just told us a minute ago. Because it's not in writing. There you go. So if it's not an easement, where is it? What box does it fall into? Uh, license. Exactly. Right? So the interesting thing about these prescriptive sort of estoppel prescription cases or, or easements by estoppel, sorry, not prescriptive estoppel, uh, easements by estoppel are that they start out essentially as a license, right? I mean, initially, what Holbrook was giving to Taylor was just the license. Go ahead, I'm not going to sue you for trespass to come on my lawn. That's a classic license, right? Um, and doesn't have to be in writing. Licenses do not have to be in writing. They are generally revocable at will, again, uh, subject to some of the things we studied about when they might not be or durations when they might not be. Um, but what happens here is that license essentially gets converted into an easement, the court says, by the reliance that Taylor places upon um, the license being sort of continued forever. Okay. And that's, it's sort of, and, and now it's an easement. Now it can continue. Well, so that's a question. Do you think it continues forever? Or at least not until Taylor abandons it in some way? I would say until there's another access to the property. I mean, it, at this point, although it wasn't created as an easement for necessity, it's become one. Because if there's no other way to get to and from, Right, so that's my question. What do you think? Is it what happens now if a you know a new road gets put in here? Does that mean this this easement that that Taylor has is now gone? I think it would be fair or just to send them back to the negotiation table. I mean, if Holbrook still wants to, 
That's a half answer. What's, what do you think? I mean, there's no answer in the book, and I'm not even sure there's yeah, a real clear answer. Good. Yeah, and why? Um, because it wasn't made conditional at the granting that it was only good as long as... Even though there wasn't an explicit granting? Yes. Okay. I mean, you may be right. I actually don't really know how a court would deal with that. I'm interested in... So anyone want to make an opposite argument that indeed the easement would would disappear? That then Holbrook, once this new road gets put in on next to Taylor's other side of Taylor's property, Holbrook can go back and say, "All right, there's no easement anymore uh, because you've you've got a perfectly good access point from the other side." So Chris says, "Look, there's no there's nothing there that says that it has to end because there's a different route." Um, and he's right, this is not an easement by necessity, so necessity is not a necessary element. On the other hand, I don't know, I'm interested in hearing if there, you think there is an argument. Travis, did you have? Uh, I was going to say that I think you could possibly argue that once he, maybe that other road opens up and he starts using it more, then when the reliance goes away, that kind of takes away what validated the license. Okay, so maybe if the, you could argue the reliance disappears, or at least the the loss to Taylor, which is what we're really concerned about with respect to the reliance, uh, diminishes enough that we can say um, that, that the easement is no longer uh, part of it. Oh, I was going to say that since the court was looking at the degree of reliance, one of the big factors was the price of the home. Good. So if that really outweighs the other costs that were used in reliance that you had in the road, then you wouldn't... The, then the first road wouldn't be so important. Good. Yes. Yeah. So if there is some sort of analysis that's the relative value of the house versus how much it would now cost uh, to maybe cut a new road to the to the closer one, a new driveway to the closer one, then one might think that that as Travis suggested, the reliance interest is going to diminish if not disappear altogether. It's easy. Same answer. Uh, I was going to say, doesn't it just depend on their Okay, good. So maybe you uh, you add in some more facts that there's some reason that this road still has more significant value or uses, right? This one uh, is maybe the one that actually connects to places useful, and this one is maybe a crummy road or something like that. I mean, maybe, and that would then alter those facts, right? I actually don't know what the answer is uh, with respect to whether or not the, if the reliance disappears. I think probably most courts would say if the reliance is gone, that then the easement disappears as well. Um, but the parties would probably be, well, if you're Taylor, you probably still want to get this in writing um, uh, just in case there are changes to the sets of circumstances. Uh, say, for example, uh, you know, maybe his house burns down or some change in the circumstance because then you can arguably have a change in the reliance interest, um, which might, might in some cases, change the, the analysis of the easement. Right? Um, so what rights do you get by an easement by estoppel? Well, you get essentially uh, the same things you get as an easement. Right? Uh, this is probably uh, transferable with uh, Taylor's uh, land. Uh, I think it's, it's probably like most easements. It's going to be an appurtenant easement that is a, a privilege uh, that goes along with, with T's properties, meaning he can sell it um, uh, with that in mind. Um, it is, um, uh, I think it, it 
well, it's a it's a traditional uh, easement in, in most of these respects. Again, with this possibility that if the reliance interest goes away, um, that the court that then Holbrook might have a claim to come back and say it's it's no longer um, appropriate to have the easement. What about the policies of easements by estoppel? Good policy, bad policy. I mean, obviously the court's doing this here because they're trying to avoid injustice and waste. Um, related to uh, Taylor having uh, put a bunch of money into this house that now it might be really difficult to get to. Um, and, you know, these two parties have reached uh, sort of a stalemate on the negotiations. So the court just goes ahead and fixes it. Is this the right policy, Lauren? Yeah, right. I mean, so one thing, one possible problem with this is that, um, you know, will it discourage the future Holbrooks of the world from saying, sure, go ahead, use the driveway, not a big deal. Um, and, and uh, you know, knowing what you know now, would, would you say, well, you can use the driveway, but we got to get something in writing, right? Which is, of course, going to make you really popular with your neighbors, um, uh, as you can imagine. Kate? But don't they have to invest? essentially money into it. So you think that, sure, you could say you can use it, but once they start, like, paving it, you'd be like, all right, well, that's a bit much. It's like, we're getting into other territories. So Fair not, enough. I need to be unfair to people. You let them put money into it in time, and, yeah. and then you take it back. It just seems confusing. Right, so you, you don't think, I mean, so, I mean, I guess the concern would mainly be, you know, Taylor shows up with the mobile home, right, or some significant piece of, of uh, investment that they want to put on on the property and says, you know, do you mind if I sort of use this um, uh, to or use your, your driveway to get to my land? I don't know. I mean, a, a neighborly thing to do would be like, not a problem. Go ahead and do it. But what, I mean, that that probably right there creates a easement by a stop. Doesn't he have to put money into it? Yeah, well, if they've dragged the, motor, the mobile home up, I think they probably have, right? I mean, it's worth zero if you can't get to it, right? I mean, you can't live in it if you can't get to and from the property. Okay. All right. So you would say that simply dragging the mobile home up the driveway doesn't, in and, in and of itself, um, create the hook that is the reliance interest um, that causes uh, Taylor to get that. I mean, that's, that's a fair argument. And again, these things are all going to be very fact-specific. That you know, the, the money that Taylor spent maintaining the road, I think, is, again, just a, a, a piece of data, a piece of information that the court uses to say, Holbrook you know, encouraged this, help, you know, had no objections, said, go ahead, help this out. Uh, you know, helped out the road, we're both using the road, and then to turn around and say, no, you can't use it anymore is, is, uh, is not uh, appropriate. Dan? Right, so yeah, are you thinking of ways to, to take an easement from your neighbor's driveway or something like that? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so the potential could be 
you know, you think you're just saying, go ahead, uh, you know, drive there, you know, I need to get a delivery, a new washer and dryer into the backyard, you know, on, to the back door of my house. Can I, you know, go across your yard? Sure, that sounds fine, right? But does, you know, when they start installing a new house in the backyard, uh, that's the potential problem, right? And so what would you do? I mean, what would you do at that point? If you say, go ahead, you can deliver the, the appliance, and then you see additional activities. Stopping as soon as I realize. Yeah, you'd have to stop right away, right? And, and you know, hopefully before they expend reliance. Or you condition the initial license upon you're just delivering the dryer, right? I mean, you know, make sure that that, that license is, is conditioned in some way on a particular use that they can't abuse it. Craig? Is there any way to contract around it and say you're allowed to make construction? Absolutely. If these two had agreed to some other uh, arrangement, I mean, the issue here is they didn't agree, right? So there wasn't any agreement between the two. So they could have formed a an easement themselves or some sort of covenant um, between the two of them to, for maintaining the road in a certain way, but they didn't, right? So again, these are this is the default rule what the court's going to have to deal with if they don't have an agreement. Um, and, and yeah, clearly the best thing to do is to have, have an agreement in these cases. Yes, Jessica. I was just thinking of uh, how in Jacques he, he said that he doesn't let Steamboat Homes carry their mobile home over his land because he's afraid of He doesn't sound so unreasonable now, does he? Yeah, it yeah. sounds like... I, I yeah, this whole that. semester you thought Jock was such a, you know, yeah. jerk, and now... Yeah, I, I, I understand. You see why people really like lawyers a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think I remember that um, Steinberg Holmes didn't want to lose the other, the other way to the, the house. Right, so in that case it actually turns out that there was indeed a road that connected the lot. Uh, so it was just a it was a road that had a hairpin turn on it, so they couldn't get the mobile home. So it worked for other purposes, just not for mobile home delivery. But it, so. I think it was dangerous, especially, especially dangerous at that time because of the bad weather. Yeah. So if Jacques had left them use it and then they continued to rely on it all winter long, there you go. It seemed like there could be an easement exactly. by estoppel for potentially to use it. Yeah, and after this case, you see, it doesn't take very much. I mean, again. Maybe Caitlin is right. Maybe just the single delivery of a mobile home isn't really a reliance, right? So it might require more than, you know, simply dragging the motor home once or mobile home once. But you know, they started selling homes in the area. Exactly. Maybe maybe Steinberg Homes says, "Hey, look, you know, you you let us do that, so we're going to sell to the next three lots in a row, you know, this winter, as opposed to waiting for the the summer when the roads open up." Jackie. So I think you could indeed contract for specifically for particular um, uh, uses and no more. And I think at that point the court would be extraordinarily reluctant to find an estoppel if the use had been exceeded, right? So, yeah. Okay. So I mean, I think that I think that does answer my question. But you, you could always you 
can always contract around. So even, I guess, at the risk of your neighbors being like, well, you're a real jerk, you're making me sign all these contracts. Right. I mean, that's the point of this question is this, that the lesson sort of from this case is make deals with your neighbors before, you know, arranging to have uses of each other's properties, which, okay, on the other hand, that isn't, you know, what we often think of as neighborly behavior. And, you know, a lot of times people say, okay, you know, go ahead and use it. But if you actually sit down and try and write something out, they'll say, oh, why aren't you giving me money, right? Which, you know, is a discouraging sort of nice behavior. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Was that a serious uh, raising of the hand? Or? Yeah, something like that. Right. Anyway, um, we started this out talking about um, like policy implications and all that. And I just, I've, got a, I've got a friend that owns an apartment complex. Is this friend? <laughs> or a... Go ahead, continue. Right. Yeah, all right. No, it's not me. It is. But uh, anyhow, his, his apartment complex is landlocked within other properties. But he owns like the deed to his property, he owns the driveway out the street. Out sure. Of the part of it's the like property. a strip of property. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just an odd shaking property. So for our policy, if I'm just I'm just wondering could we implement a policy where when when people develop large plots of land in you know commercial at least especially in commercial settings, but even residential, I don't see why we can't Make a requirement where there has to be some kind of a attachment to a road. You know what I mean? That would end on this need for easement. Well, there might often be zoning requirements for that sort of thing. Is that what you're you're going to say? Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask. Yeah, when you were talking about how there, when the common owner severs the property and there's one of the properties that either lacks the road access, I was going to say why why are we going to respect their Why don't we respect the intentions? Well, because we think it's an inefficient use of the property, or we think that their intentions really were to allow access. So I think the theory is that indeed they could not have been so dumb as to sell a piece of property without having some access to the road because the properties are useless. And so this is in a way the courts think that they're, you know, upholding what must have been the intentions, even though they didn't do this. But in some, at some level, we're not respecting intentions because the deed doesn't say anything about it, right? Um, so, so, and, you know, back to, to um, you know, the, the question that, that Jaron had, I mean, zoning requirements are almost certain to take care of this, which is you're not going to be allowed to build particularly significant structures without access to a road. Um, uh, and you may indeed not be able to sell lots unless you can show access to roads and uh, other utilities, too, very often. You'll have to show access to uh, sewers and things like that, um, again, to prevent these sorts of issues. On the broader issue, though, I think you, you might be asking sort of why, why have easements at all? Why not simply require people to be purchasing the, the land outright and sort of a fee simple rather than having easements? And I think that, you know... That goes to this issue that we want to have a lot of flexibility in the right. So we might want, you know, this is allowing sort of a shared use um, where you have you have one uh, party who still continues to own the land, and yet one party who gets only as much of the land as he needs, which is just the use right to cross the driveway from time to time, and that's all they need. They don't need full 
fee simple rights to the to the to the land. So it's more in that way more efficient. So there's no need for them to pay for it, no need for them to maintain it. Let the the Holbrooks keep that. Right? Eric. Um, stepping back for a second, I think that kind of the Jacques fear of um, easement by estoppel is is kind of ridiculous, frankly. And and all of this is. I mean, I don't see why. <laughs> I, I just don't like. So you're against the easements by estoppel? I mean, if I'm taking a step back, to me, this doesn't make sense at all. You know, if I give permission for Jacques or for Steenberg Homes to take the mobile home across um, my lawn for that specific use, does, in no way am I at suggesting that they rely entirely on that in multiple occasions. And I just. Doesn't an element of estoppel have to be that you. Want them to rely on the promise? It so, is. So it's. It, did they rely upon? Did they reasonably rely on your permissive uses of the property? Right. And so, look, I don't know if. I mean, I think it's a fact question as to whether or not you know giving somebody the right one time in the middle of a snowstorm to drag a mobile home across your lawn is going to create thereby a reliance interest. I think that's potentially dubious, right? On the other hand, if you make other sorts of noises like, oh, I would never have a problem with you, you know, doing this or something. I mean, that's, those are the sort of facts. I mean, here, I mean, so what do you think about this case? I think this is entirely reasonable. Okay. So you're okay with that. I'm okay. So so where's your line? How much, how much stuff does Holbrook have to say or do in order to trigger? I think it has to do with the intent of the promissor to, you know, to, to, let the promisee rely. But of course, we all get into court and Holbrook says, I never intended to have him invest any money. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's not going to cop to the intent. So, so you've got to come up with what are the facts that are going to prove up the, the reasonable reliance. Right? Um, you didn't help me. I think we remember, we talked about signing, like posting at one point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it's an interesting question. So your your hypo is Holbrook says to Taylor, go ahead and use it as much as you want, but I'm not giving you an easement. And the question is, does that prevent the easement by estoppel? No, that might prevent uh, easements. Well, that would certainly potentially prevent easements by prescription, right? By saying we are not actually giving you, uh, well, you are, well, actually, we're giving you permission, right? Um, I'm not sure that specific language seems odd. I mean, you can actually see, if you ever go out here by uh, the Penn Bookstore, if you ever look in the, in the, in the concrete uh, on the Penn Bookstore, there's a, there's a line there, and it says space inside... Uh, this line not dedicated, by which I mean, I think they mean it's, it's remember the, uh, um, on, uh, the roads, right, the, the you know, the, where you can get a, uh, a, a use right, it's sort of a, a public use right over roads uh, that, that were private then become public when people use them. And I think it's to prevent that from happening. But that wouldn't actually prevent that from happening if it hadn't said... If there was a... If there was a reliance and Penn, and Penn could have been shown to have done things that would force someone else or that would reasonably 
tell someone else to rely on it to their detriment, then you could at least make this argument that it was enough. I'm not sure if a statement saying to Taylor, you don't get an easement, would be enough if Taylor then goes and relies on it and Horbrook doesn't stop it. Yeah, intent seems to be less here, in part because there is no writing at all, right, uh, in here. So we're having to use much more circumstantial evidence than we would uh, probably in a sort of written context here. So, last question, and we move on to the Aaron Light. All right, why, I was confused, why doesn't, why does Justine's sign not allow the easement by prescription? Why does it, what? Why does it disallow an easement by prescription? I don't think it necessarily would disallow an easement by prescription. Oh, I thought you said it would. No, I think it 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 is it might it might prevent the estoppel one. It might, right. um, and it might prevent the the remember that the pri and I'm forgetting the 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 case we did where there's a private road. Um, it was near the the beach case uh, where the roads convert, essentially private roads can be converted in some states into public roads by use. No, it's been a while. So it would, I think it's intended to prevent that. So public dedication. I don't, doesn't that have to be adverse? And weren't they giving permission by the sign? Right. That's why I'm saying it wouldn't be, it wouldn't necessarily stop uh, the permission. I don't know what the sign means, right? Not an easement. Is that giving permission? Is it not giving permission? What does it mean? And that's why I was saying the language sounds strange. But could it right? Sound like on the same line, go back to adverse possession? Yes. Could it put a sign on a property that says, no trespassing unless you intend to adversely possess, in which case you can't trespass? <laughs> <laughs> in which case, permission is fully granted. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting question. Uh, so, I mean, again, part of this might be. Uh, you know, we're going to have to, at that point, go beyond what your sign says and look at your course of behavior, right? When people start camping out in your property, are you actually doing anything to stop them, um, or are you not, uh, and, and letting them do it, right? I think that would be part of, part of the question that would have to go there. I'm not sure that you can solve everything with a sign, no matter how uh, carefully crafted, okay? All right, the Fontainebleau Hotel Corporation, right? Um, all right, so there's a timeline here. The Fontainebleau is built in 1954. The Eden Rock a year later. Um, uh, and this is, this is sort of a more current view uh, of, the, of at least, I guess, a year ago or so, or whenever the last Google satellite picture got taken, uh, of that part of the, the issue. Um, so for whatever reason, the, the hotel, the Fontainebleau, begins to construct a 14-story addition 20 feet from the north property line. When completed, this is going to cast a big shadow, and I think you can still see this is the uh, this is the older one. Now this the uh, the hotel here, the Eden Rock, has has taken what used to be their area that they had their pool in and built something new there. Um, but this is the original 14-story uh, tower uh, that was going to cast a shadow, at least during significant months of the year, on the pool in the cabana area of the Eden Rock. Uh, during the peak afternoon hours. Okay, so uh, Abina, tell us about what happens here. Um, there was a 
Yes. Right. All right. So they say, uh, but let's talk about easements first. They do say nuisance, right? All right. But they so they want an easement for light, air, and sunshine, basically, right? Does it work? No. Okay. Why not? Right. Okay. Right. So, the, I mean, part of this, the trial court had issued a temporary injunction preventing construction, right? And interestingly enough, on, the, on uh, 1002 and 1003, the, the district court's reasoning is actually interesting. The district court says, there's really no legal reason I'm doing this. I'm doing this just because it seems clear that, that this is only being built uh, out of spite and we're not going to allow that sort of behavior. And the, and the appellate court says that's not an appropriate reason to issue a, uh, an injunction. And so you really have only two possibilities, and, and the main one here is the negative easement. So first, what is a negative easement as distinguished from positive easements? Say again. Well, that's one reason we might not want. So what is a negative easement? I mean, what do we mean when we say there's this class of easements out there that we call negative easements? Exactly, right? Is it, the regular kind of easement, positive easements, are a use right that you're giving to somebody else over your land. A negative easement, it's a right you're giving to somebody else, but that right is that you will not use your land in particular ways, right? So here, the negative easement would be what? What negative easement does the Eden Rock Hotel want? Above whatever level is required in order to maintain the sunshine uh, in the afternoons on the pool, right? So it's a negative easement in the sense that it's not giving the Eden Rock any right to go on to uh, the Fontainebleau Hotel's uh, land. It's just telling them it's a it's a right to prevent them from doing certain things with their land, uh, and that's why we call these negative easements, right? All right. So there's a lot of uh, you know traditionally. Negative easements have been allowed. Um, in the common law of England, they, they had four kinds of negative easements. Light, uh, air, lateral support of a building, and the flow of a water in an artificial stream. Meaning you could, you could have an easement uh, with your neighbors so that they uh, would not uh, build or, or you know, plant a tree or something that would obscure your light from your window. Uh, you could do uh, something similar if there was a air channel that was required or, or that, that uh, went to your property. Uh, lateral support, you can see why you might want a negative easement on your neighbor if you own the townhome uh, to not remove the, con you know, the wall that's holding up your, uh, your <laughs> property. Uh, you can see why the common law might have developed the rule that you could get that easement. 
uh, and then um, the, the flow of water from, a, from an artificial stream uh, might be one as well. Um, so American courts have never really limited negative easements uh, to those types. You can, in theory, get a negative easement for uh, a bunch of different uh, kinds of things if you can agree uh, with your neighbor about what these negative easements would be, you can go, you could purchase um, a negative easement of view. You could, you know, if you have a second row house on the beach, uh, there's nothing preventing you from purchasing from your neighbor just to the ocean side of you um, a easement that they will never build sort of in your view lines. Uh, that's, that's an easement uh, that you could purchase and could be attached to the deeds. Uh, and would be like any other any other easement. Of course, note it is a negative easement. It doesn't give you any use rights. It just gives them limits their rights on what they can do with their property. Um, uh, okay, so the court doesn't say this in great detail, but the, the basic rule is you can't, at least not in, in the United States, create a negative easement by prescription, which is what Eden Rock wants here. Why does Eden Rock need a negative easement by prescription? Well, he's, you know why he wants a negative easement? Because he doesn't. He wants to maintain the. He wants to stop the Fontainebleau from building the 14-story tower. Why does it need to be by prescription? And let's run down our other possibilities. Can it be a implied easement? No. No. Why not? Now, that would be a stopple if they relied on it, right? Let's just run down. So it's not a regular easement. They didn't have an agreement, right? So what are the ones you can get without agreement? You can get an, an easement by necessity. You can get an easement by necessity for the... Yeah, why not? It doesn't really seem necessary. It's not landlocked. I mean, an easement by necessity is classically a landlocked situation where there's no sort of economically useful use. You know, I don't know. You could could potentially argue that, that, you know, completely obscuring the sun from a beachfront hotel. I mean, I, you know, not saying you can't make that argument, but that's not a winner, most likely. All right, so um, what about a um, implication? Um, no. no, you're right, no, why not? Okay, again, similar to the necessary necessity in that this doesn't seem like it's not landlocked, it's not uh, a, a really critical importance um, uh, of that sort. Common grantor, again, it's not clear that there was ever a common grantor where this was agreed at that particular time, and so probably not there. What about estoppel? Doesn't seem like there's any reliance, right? So they're pretty much stuck with prescription here, right? All right, so... Why, does, why do courts say you can't get a prescriptive negative easement? You actually said it earlier. Just... 
No, I mean, so I'm asking more generally. I mean, that, that may be right for this case, but why is the general rule in the U.S., um, England's a little bit different, but in the U.S. we generally say you can't have, you can't get negative easements of these sorts by prescription. You have it there, right? It's lack of notice, right? Isn't that the basic concern we have here, right? I mean, how does how does your neighbor know that you're, you know, that the statute of limitations is running on them constructing the house or, or building that they want to construct um, as, you know, because you're enjoying the view? Uh, so I think there are a lot of concerns that courts have about uh, these prescriptive, that allowing negative easements, again, rights not to use, you know, your, the, a right to prevent someone from using their property um, in a prescriptive manner, uh, obtaining those in a prescriptive manner are going to be quite problematic from a, from a notice perspective. Why couldn't it be a stop with With nothing more than that? Well, I mean, I, I mean, that's the question. I mean, Maybe, I, I, but I think, remember, these two have been fighting like tooth and nail all along, so it seems real clear that this was going to, you know, that there was no, you know, there was no information thinking that they should have relied on that. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not a bad argument. It would depend, again, on the course of, of conduct. In terms of use uh, by implication, if they look at a common grant to begin with, don't you just say that the previous grant would not, like, a beachfront property that doesn't have sun, sunlight Okay. Maybe. All right. So, what would the argument be on the other side, though? So, who wants to argue for even if there was a common grantor? So, let's just set that possible problem aside. How would you argue this still doesn't work? You've got sunlight, just not between two and sunset. Not important enough, basically. Or move your pool, right? To you know, out front further or whatever. Just the fact that you did it here doesn't give you enough. Again, remember that easement by implication is. Is it's got to be a sort of d deep diminishment of the value of the of the property in order to rise to that to that level, and courts are pretty reluctant to do that. So, great. Um, for easement by necessity, does it absolutely require the common grantor thing? Is 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 a is a requirement now? Uh, landlocked is the classic case. You can imagine other cases where, again, the standard is something like: Is there Reasonable economic uses, you know, have, have all economic or reasonable uses of the land, are they not available unless we allow this sort of easement, right? So, I mean, in a crazy hypothetical, like if this building was completely solar powered? Right. So, okay, perhaps. But, of course, then the argument would be, you know, that's the fact that you made a decision to invest in solar power isn't necessarily something your neighbor should be concerned about, Right. It does to the building, but maybe not to the property, right? Which again is usually the way we're looking at it. It's not just the building; it's the, what the, whether the property itself has, has continues to have use. And you can say, yeah, it has great use. You can use it as a dump or whatever. So, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, in theory, anyway. Right? All right. So you can't um, uh, create it by prescription. These negative easements. You can generally get them if you can agree uh, with your neighbor. So, uh, Abina, how about nuisance? I mean, aren't they clearly interfering with, with uh, the Eden Rock's use and enjoyment of their property? Um, I think the court has 
Right. Now, they said that private nuisance didn't work, but why not? Why do you think that the court didn't go for that? I mean, there, it's pretty clear that the Fontainebleau Hotel is building this land in such, or building this tower in such a way as to try and injure the hotel next door. So what do we do? I mean, shouldn't we use, step in and use the nuisance doctrine in these cases to prevent this sort of socially bad behavior? So sort of a slippery slope problem, and if we allow a, a lack of sunshine during a few hours a day to be a nuisance, then all sorts of other possibilities open up? Yeah. Yeah, but what if we get to the stage where we start balancing, right? Let's balance this out, like we do often in nuisance cases. Which, which use? Is, is better. I mean, how should we weigh these two uses? On the one hand, you have a, you know, a nice hotel pool uh, and, and cabana and garden. Uh, and on the other hand, you have, you know, you can see on page um, 1006, you know, this ugly wall. There's nothing there but just a flat concrete wall. How do you balance this out? Phil? Um, it's definitely more and also, they're, they're Even gonna, ones that only face the other way? Yeah, but it's still usually more people in the area using services in Miami Beach. And also, they're on a beach. So just because the pool has no sunlight, there's a beach. Like, I, I'm not really feeling their case, because there's a beach. Okay. There's a big difference between a beach and an ocean, let me tell you, so... I mean, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from West Palm. Okay. Like, yeah. You know. All right. So you're all right with that. All right. <laughs> so what, I mean, how would Coase deal with this? What would Coase say? Now it's like, oh, my God, not again. <laughs> <laughs> this actually kind of gets to my question. Is, like, the point with the fact that, like, the easement doesn't work and the nuisance doesn't work and whatever is, I guess it goes along with Coase, is to encourage to like all the hotels or like previous negotiations that somebody's going to pay off somebody else to say, okay, you're never going to build some huge, like is that what the output goal is? Well, so clearly, so I mean, part of the, I mean, so the Kosian solution would be one where these two agree, right? But, but what, I mean, how do you think he would, how would he analyze this now? Right? We're in this sort of situation. These two don't like each other much. There's potential competing uses. What do we do? And how would he... I, mean, I think he would say that one has to just pay the other off. Right, but which one? The, um, the, names. the one who's now got the shadow over his building. But why? Because they're going to lose. To me, it seems like... Yeah, but in fact, that's, that is not what... Co Coast would not tell us, I don't think, which one was going to win or which one would pay whom, right? What would he say? I think what you want to do is carve up the rights somehow so they can be traded. 
Well, they can clearly be traded and bargained for now, right? I mean, they could they could get an easement, right? So if I was the Eden Rock Hotel, I could pay the Fontainebleau Hotel to stop and say, "Here's your money. Just stop, you know, stop at floor two or whatever um, to save my pool." I, can, I mean, that's that's a deal that can be done. I guess the problem is because you have this bad blood, you're not going to have a rational bargaining situation based on what you're saying, which is that you can trade for. You can get negative easements to, to views, to light, to sunshine. You can purchase those. It's not going to work because this is not a Good. It won't work. Coast would say we would hope that it would, right? And maybe we can't reach a, a optimal solution now, and now courts just need to do something. Maybe the best solution is to do nothing and hope that the private parties work it out. Uh, although, as it, you know, I mean, you can see this is, you know, 20 years later, and that obviously was there for a long time before they, you know, just now have, have built a new high-rise right on the, on the same border, right? Um, I mean, what should, what should be done? If you're the city of Miami Beach, what do you do in these cases? I mean, think about it like a city planner. What are you going to do? Chris? I think you kind of got to go with the one who's building up because land on the beach is a finite resource, so if you're going to... So you do basically what Miami Beach did here and just say there aren't any particular zoning rules about how high you can go or yeah. block somebody else's life. Yeah, and so, I mean, it does open the beach up to more people by going up to keep it, to maintain the status quo with Good. people in Havana. Yeah, it's great for them, Yeah. but it's not going to enable... Yeah. Say more, more hotel rooms is a bonus for everybody in the, in the whole community, and therefore whatever... Whatever builds more hotel rooms, go for it. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you say wherever the value lies, so if Eden Rock values having that sunlight, then they're going to have to pay for it. And if they don't pay enough, <coughs> then they don't value it as much as Fountain I mean, I know transaction costs. Oh, yeah, no, that's... Bad blood, but that's how it would... That's how Coast would say to do it. Now, but my next question is, what, as a city planner, is the right way to think about this, right? I mean, so another possibility is to say that we would have some form of, of private eminent domain approach, like we talked about yesterday, where you, know, you could apply to the city um, and get a permit for essentially a stoppage of uh, the building up of your neighbor. Um, you know, you have to pay your neighbor money to do that, right? Force the deal, right? It'd be a little different than your solution, which would be a, a, a truly voluntary transaction. We could force that deal somehow by saying as long as they meet certain criteria, they get to get that use right, they pay you money, right? So that's another possibility. You could do nothing, right? You could have zoning saying you can't build, you know, in any way. You could either have a standard that says you can't build high. You could have a standard that says you can't build in any way that, that blocks somebody else's light uh, and, uh, and so forth. Again, that would sort of all depend on your empirical assumptions about um, the... Uh, uh, the 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 most valuable use for the entire society. Jaron. Not entirely important, but a fun fact: in the city of San Antonio, Texas, there is a zoning requirement that you can't build any buildings which will ever cast a shadow on the Alamo. There you go. See, so some cities do it. All right. So let's go to our third and, and final case today, which is pen bowling versus hot shops. Uh, Carrie, you're up.
Good. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Succinct explanation of what's going on. Right. So, uh, pen bowling has a has a, a what we call a dominant tract. Right. A dominant tract is the tract that owns the easement. Right. That has the use right over uh, the servient tract, the subservient tract, which is the one that has the use right. Um, uh, attached uh, or, or that, that is encumbered by it. And so um, uh, pen bowling is, well, they're doing two things, right? They're overusing, right, their, their easement, uh, and they're using the easement for um, the benefit of another parcel, which they have uh, an adjacent parcel, but one that was not part of the original deed that created the easement um, uh, itself. Right, and so the court. Uh, so first of all, how does the court answer the question about whether overuse or misuse of an easement is a waiver of that easement? It's not. It's not right. So overuse or misuse is not uh, a waiver of the easement. How instead? What is it? What happens? Well, that's, that's true. There are sort of two, the court essentially splits the question into two, two issues. One is, you know, how do we analyze overuse of an, of an easement? And the second is, how do we analyze the use of an easement for an adjacent tract, right? So let's take the second question first. How do they analyze that? What's the rule? Can you use it? Can you, can I add... I have a, you know, I have a right, let's just, just like this one. I, what Penn Bowling has done is they bought the building next door. They've expanded their operations, but they're still using the, the easement uh, over the hot shops. Uh, and are they allowed to, to do that? Right. That's, that is expressly not allowed, right? I.e., what kind of rule is it in favor of hot shops? Exactly, right? It's a property rule because it's just saying... That there is no property interest in, in the adjacent uh, uh, the adjacent um, property that that Penn Bowling added on, so they can't use it um, for they can't use that easement for the for the enjoyment of this new tract. Now, in their existing tract, they've expanded operations just in their existing building, and so they're doing a lot more deliveries and things like that. How does the court analyze that one? Well, they say there's something wrong with it, potentially, but, but they say you need to go back and analyze exactly what that is, right? They say you're strictly disallowed from um, uh, using an easement for non-dominant tracts, i.e. tracts that didn't contain the easement in the beginning, um, but subject the use of the easement by the dominant tract to a rule of reasonability, right? That's the answer to the other one, which is to say you measure your use of an easement according to a rule of reasonability, sort of a, a liability rule in a sense, right? It's, and the presumption here is if it's found to be an unreasonable use, you have exceeded your easement right, and you're going to have to either pay or diminish your use back to um, the, the amount that, I mean, there may be an injunction, uh, but, but most likely you'd have to pay money or work out some arrangement with, with Penn Bowling. So why? What about this question? Why, why do we have this distinct difference? Here, right. So the for a you you we strictly disallow right and e use of an easement for non-dominant tracts, but for an easement that exists, it's just a rule of reasonability. 
I'm not letting Phil bail you out yet. No, I have a question. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Question. So, if, if, um, so if Penn Bowling wants to now sell these different buying tracts of land, at the end of this decision, if they want to sell this one big parcel, can they, say, they have to include this little disclaimer of easement only applies to the property extending up to this point, and beyond this point, you can't use this yeah, and as the court notes, one of the problems that Penn Bowling now has is what? I mean, what is a big practical problem they have with this, with the holding? Right? So the holding turns out to be no uses of the, the non-dominant tract. You can use the dominant tract, the easement, and you get a rule of reasonability. But the court has this little statement saying, by the way, this is a problem because... Just think about it. What's the practical problem? How do you separate? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, there's trucks. They come in. They deliver stuff, right? Some of the stuff goes to the one track. Some of the stuff goes to the other. How you you know sort that out? And the court sort of hints, maybe everything gets enjoined until they can show, they can prove that it's only going to one track or the other. But what's the most likely result here? They probably pay. Yeah, pay money, right? They're going to have to pay hot shops or work out some arrangement with hot shops in order to be able to increase their use and, and then explicitly get um, uh, the right to use it uh, on, on this other tract as well, or else they're going to have all kinds of trouble. And at that point, then, they can sell the tracts together with presumably a broader expanded easement. Okay? Okay, so, Carrie, why do you think we have this distinction in the law between... Uh, why not just say it's reasonable, right? As long as I'm using my easement reasonably... Why should, why should anyone care whether I've added new properties to it? When you get into the slippery slope thing where you could end up having your the easement be granted for one specific purpose to being used for all sorts of things and basically being overrun without any real permission on your part just because someone else thinks it's reasonable. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. What, what do you think, Caitlin? So if they allowed it for the whole, you mean, it, oh, so if, if we said it's, it's a rule of reasonability, so we allow them to expand use as long onto the other uh, land, then, then what? It's like they created two reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be part of the concern is that they, you, you know, sort of unbeknownst to anybody, these, these easements might expand out, outward. Um, and it also might be just, it's so easy um, in many cases, and maybe not this case, but it's often pretty easy to tell if you're using uh, a, uh, a, an easement in a, for a non-dominant tract, right? So if all of a sudden you buy a new lot and you, you know, extend the driveway uh, from, uh, uh, that you had an easement for over to your new lot, it's pretty obvious that you are, you're changing the nature of the, your property right, right? So it's, again, sort of almost a trespass versus nuisance thing, right? You, when we can tell really clearly what's going on, we tend to focus on the trespass issues. When it's a little more balanced and it's, it's more of like, are they really harming and how much is the harm, then we're more into this, this rule of reasonability balancing sort of test. And then what do you think the best answer is here for the remedy? Carrie, what do you think?
All right, so would you issue the injunction and say, look, you, can't, you cannot add new parcels to the easement, period, end of story? Yeah, I think I would. Okay. Force them to figure out another way to run their business if that means building another road or something. All right. Doesn't that allow the hot shops to have pen bowling sort of over a barrel at this point, right? They've now added on to their property with the idea that they're going to be able to use the, the loading dock, and all of a sudden, boom. Okay. Yeah. Good. Anyone? I just want to clarify one thing. You may have already mentioned this, but to prohibit use of the easement by non dominant tracks, doesn't that reinforce the idea that all these things can be writing to you all so we can kind of preserve it mm -hmm. in records? Good. Exactly. Right. Again, I think a lot of it does come down to notice and making sure that we're being very clear about which parcels have uh, easements, which parcels don't, and so forth. And if you want to add tracts, you need to make sure that you, you change the definition of the easement accordingly, right? And that's essentially what the, the rule is, which is you can't add tracts and continue to use the same easement for the benefit of that tract without getting a new easement, essentially, right? So, I mean, the other side of the coin might be that, you know, do you want a liability rule here because Penn Bowling is in a tough spot, right? They, you know, you're going to obviously have, you know, a bilateral monopoly situation here. The loading dock is this, you know, is this area that they must have in order to run their business. They've clearly invested significant sums uh, with the idea that they were going to be able to use the loading dock. And, um, and why not just say, pay them the money and let them do it? I mean, the downside to that is, you know, then you're going to allow uh, the Penn Bowlings of the world to sort of expand their property, and as long as they keep paying money uh, to, uh, to, the, to the subservient estate, they're going to continue to expand the uses that they've uh, got over their easement. So we, we typically, uh, in these cases, offer the, the injunction, although it's not uniform, again, for the, all the reasons we've already suggested in the course about uh, injunctions versus uh, liability rules. So here's, I hope that you're getting these concepts out of the easement idea, right? So we went over engrossed versus appurtenant, implied versus necessity, what is prescriptive, easement by estoppel, negative easements, and then finally, in this case, what we mean by misuse of easements and how we measure that. So if you can check the box next to each of those, uh, you're in good shape, and I will uh, see you on Monday.